Good morning, Journey. Awesome to be with you this morning. Um, if you've been around here, uh, you know that I'm not the lead pastor around here, but we've been praying around that because our lead pastor right now is trying to get some paperwork cleared in the Congo, and uh, we've been doing a lot of praying around that. Uh, because this matters so much to me and uh, my heart is so invested in him and his family and wanting to see them get back here. It's actually kind of changed my morning routine a little bit. Normally I get up and the first thing I want to do is get my coffee and get into the word and spend time with the Lord. And I'm not really a social media guy, but the first thing that I do just about every morning now is open up my computer and look at Twitter to see is there any news from Brian. And uh, yesterday morning uh, when I got up, uh, I just need to say that my heart sank because this is what Brian tweeted. He said, quote, this is going to take a while. Hashtag, maybe I should have waited. And I read that and I was just like, oh no, what does that mean? But then I realized he was referring to this. He was trying to download the new iPhone 7 app on his phone with Congolese Wi-Fi. And it said about seven hours remaining to get that downloaded. Uh, my, my heart went to better places after I read that and realized exactly what was going on and but if you could continue to pray with us, we want to get to the place where the seven hours remaining is seven hours remaining in the Congo. We want him back. So continue to fast, continue to pray, lift up the Hopkins family on both sides of the ocean. Uh, they need that right now. And so let's continue to engage with them on that. We're in the middle of this series that we're calling, I Dare You. And what we're doing in this series is we're trying to unpack for you the mission, vision, and values of Journey Church. What is it that we want to be about? What is it that matters to us? That's what we're talking about when we're talking about our values. And last week, and if you didn't hear Derry's message last week, I would tell you, please go back and listen to that because he unpacked this idea of imago Dei, that Latin term that means image of God and why that matters to us so much around here because we believe with everything in us that every person that we're ever gonna lay eyes on in our life are made in the image of God. Regardless of maybe even how sin has marred us, every one of us is made in God's image and is worthy of respect. And because those people are loved by God and they matter to God, they matter to us. And in my mind, the value that we're gonna talk about today flows directly out of that first value. Because people matter to God and he loves them, what we're gonna talk about today is one of the greatest things that we can do out of love for those people is to create an introduction between every person on the planet and that God that created them in his image. We're gonna talk about this idea that God has used, wants to use us as his chosen vessel to take the greatest news ever announced that a person can have freedom in Christ, can have relationship with God and he wants to use us to do that. And the words that we've chosen uh, around here at Journey to, to capture our heart for that is this phrase, all out mobilization. All out mobilization. We wanna be the kind of people that our lives are about knowing God and making him known to others. All out mobilization. And when we chose those words, we chose them very strategically. When we say all, what we mean is all. All of us, every one of us engaged in what God is doing in the world to bring people back into a relationship with him. Not just some of us, not just people on staff, not just key volunteers, all of us engaged in however God would choose to use us. But we're listening to him and we want to be involved in that all. Out, 
that we're thinking about how do we engage, not just in the things that happen inside the church walls here, but how do we engage out in the broken world? How do we take this message of the good news of Jesus Christ to people that don't know him? But then also we want to put those two words together and think of it this way, all out. It's all, it's out, and it's all out. Because that's speaking to how we want to engage in this. This is not a half-hearted effort on our behalf. We want this to be something that captures us. That we would give our energy, that we would give our life to this, that we would do it in a way that is all out. All out mobilization, mobilized on the mission of Jesus. Just getting involved with him and what he's doing to bring people back into relationship with him. And the reason this value just strikes a chord with me is because I've just seen in my own experience, not only is there a great thing that we can do for other people, but there's great things that happen in us as we get involved in what God is doing in the world. From the very, when I very first became a believer, one of the very first things that the guy that led me to Christ invited me to do was to get involved with telling other people about what God was doing in my life and how he was changing me. And I was scared to death. I was just thinking, do I even know enough to be able to do this? But what I watched in my life was when I take those steps of faith to trust God, to be used by him, my faith just grew so much because God wasn't just some kind of an idea or a concept. God was real and I was seeing him work in my life and I was watching him change the lives of other people. When we think about all out mobilization, it's not just what we're gonna do for others. Friends, it's what God is gonna do in you. God is gonna change you as much as he's gonna change other people. This last week, I had the privilege of speaking at Campus Crusade for Christ, or crew, over at MSU. And uh, I used to be the director there for a lot of years. Um, and I had the great opportunity to talk with a student athlete that was there at that meeting. And I've known him since he was a freshman. And if I were kind of to describe his, his spiritual path, it's kind of been right on the edge of really going all in in his relationship with God. He's always been just kind of teetering on the edge well, it was so fun to talk with him at the beginning of that meeting. And he began to talk about a month ago that he went all in. Put all his chips in the middle of the table and said, I want to make Jesus the center of my life. But this was the part I want to share with you. Just the week before that, he had had the opportunity to share his faith with another student. And he saw that person go from darkness to light. And he'd even been continuing to meet with that student, seeing this student's life changed. And as he talked with me about what was going on, I just said, hey, that is so cool that you had that opportunity to do that. And he looked me right in the eye and he said, that was the best day of my life. That was the best day of my life. And if you knew this guy and you knew just kind of, he has, as the world standards, he's got life by the tail. But he would say, that was my best day, was seeing God use me in the life of another person. Friends, that's what I want for me that's what I want for you. I want us to have our best days because we're engaged in seeing God change people's lives for eternity. All out mobilization. That's what we're talking about. Jesus undoubtedly was the greatest mobilizer of all time. If we just kind of look at the, the broad strokes of his life, he spent about three years of ministry primarily focusing on just a handful of leaders but teaching them how to live the kind of life that Jesus lived, not only in his character, but in the things that he did. 
Until the end of his ministry, we find that as Jesus is about ready to ascend into heaven, he's sitting on a little hill outside of Jerusalem. And by this time, there's about 120 people collected there. And Jesus said to them that you're going to receive power. You're going to receive power from on high when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And here's what's going to happen. You are going to be my witnesses. It's going to start right here in Jerusalem. And then it's going to go to Judea and Samaria. And then ultimately, it's going to go to the ends of the earth. All out mobilization. And this is what I know. The people that he was talking to, those 120 people on that hill outside of Jerusalem, they got it. They understood what Jesus meant by all out mobilization. Because if we just fast forward in time, 250 years, in the midst of incredible persecution and resistance in the Roman Empire, half of the Roman Empire were followers of Jesus because Jesus effectively mobilized 120 of his closest followers. Jesus knows how to mobilize. He knows what he's doing and calling us to be a part of what he's doing in the world. Well, what I want us to do today, I want us to unpack a story from Luke chapter five, from the greatest mobilizer of all time. And this is what I would call a mobilizing encounter that Jesus has with some of those first key leaders, those people that were going to be some of his greatest followers. And as we look at this story, we're going to see that Jesus helps us understand what needs to be true in our heart and our mind if we're going to be the kind of people that are going to live out this value of all-out mobilization. We're going to be reading from Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people there, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from shore. He sat down and taught the people from the boat. So Jesus is doing this mass teaching to the multitudes, but then he takes his attention and he turns it from the masses and he looks at Peter. And he gives Peter a very clear, but a very direct command. And he says this. He says simply, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Okay, now this is a very simple and direct command, but this is gonna create some problems for Peter. Because Peter, he is a professional fisherman. This isn't his first rodeo with fishing. And he's being asked to do something that runs completely counter to everything that he knows from a lifetime of fishing, everything that would become naturally to him, Jesus is running completely counter to that. It's the wrong time of day. We fished all night and haven't caught anything. It's the wrong depth. And besides that, there's this pile of nets sitting here reminding us of this entire night that we've spent not catching anything. So when I think about Peter's response to Jesus here, I think if we, if we kind of put our ear up to the text a little bit and read between the lines, we can almost imagine that Peter was a little bit skeptical about Jesus' request of him. And this is what Peter said. Simon answered, Master. And now this is what I'm imagining is going on in Peter's mind. He's thinking, Master, you are the Lord You're the master of teaching. You're the master theologian. You're the master healer. You're the master miracle worker. You're the master of a lot of things other than fishing. Fishing is my thing, Jesus. 
And this is what he says. We've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Jesus, that means me, not you, we. We've worked hard all night. We've busted our backsides and we haven't caught anything the whole night. And now suddenly you've got some kind of a feeling that there are gonna be fish out there. But then we look at Peter's response to Jesus. And I want us to dial in on that word there, but. I think that might be one of the biggest conjunctions that Peter used in his life. A big, big but. Peter uses a big but. And then the next six words that come out of his mouth, I think, are some of the six most important words that Peter ever said in his life. He said, because you say so, I will let down the nets. Because you say so, I will. Can you just say that with me right now? Because you say so, I will. One more time with gusto. Because you say so, I will. When we look at the life of Peter, when we traffic with him, there were a lot of ups and downs in his life, but these are words that marked his life. Jesus, because you say so, I will. I don't have to understand everything that's going on, Jesus, but I'm gonna follow in obedience because you say so, I will. Those words mark Peter's life and friends. If we're gonna be the kinds of people that are gonna be mobilized on the mission of Christ, those words have to be marked in our life as well. They need to be etched on our heart. Whatever it is that God would be asking us to do, whatever Jesus would say into our life, our response needs to be because you say so, I will. That needs to become the normal flow of our life. That the most normal thing about us walking closely with God would be this normal rhythm of hearing his voice in our life, knowing that it's God's voice. And whatever it is that he's asking us to do, that our response is immediate obedience to him because you say so, I will. I love the imagery that Jesus gives us in John chapter 10 when he talks about this metaphor of a shepherd and a sheep, when he talks about how we would relate to him as we walk through life. My sheep, he says, this is what's true of them. They, they know my voice and they follow me. They hear my voice and they respond to me. And he said, they're not gonna follow another voice. They will not follow a stranger's voice because they don't recognize it. They know my voice. And our response to him will always be, because you say so, I will. See, because Peter could have walked away at this time. There's all the reasons in the world to walk away. He had reasons to think that there would be no fish out there for him to catch. But you know what? When we don't take the risk to obey God, we can miss some of the greatest opportunities in our life. And Peter would have missed the greatest opportunity ever. I was thinking back to when I was a kid and I kind of grew up uh, in middle school and high school during the Michael Jordan era when he was coming out of college and into the pros and everything about me was Michael Jordan. My room, probably pretty much until I was married, my room was covered with Michael Jordan posters. My wife drew the line at that. She let me keep one that was behind glass because it was a really cool Michael Jordan poster. But that was, I just loved Michael Jordan and I loved to read things about him. You wanna know an interesting thing about Michael Jordan? Growing up, he didn't like Nike tennis shoes. Can you, ima can you imagine that, Michael Jordan? I mean, is there a bigger name associated with Nike tennis shoes than Michael Jordan? I mean, my kids weren't even, he was retired before my kids were even born, and they're still buying Air Jordan clothes today. But 
Here's the thing. When he was coming out of college, and it was kind of in the era when they were first starting the, some of the big shoe contracts, he loved Adidas. He wanted to sign a contract with Adidas. And he told them, you don't even have to match Nike's offer. Just come close. But here's what Adidas said to him, the marketing executive with Adidas. They said, you know, I don't know that we're going to be able to put all of our eggs in one basket. Because here's our philosophy. We want to sign athletes that have more international appeal. More international appeal. I imagine that this marketing executive with Adidas, in the years following that decision, would walk into his office, grab the sides of his desk every morning, and pound his head into his desk, thinking, I could have signed Michael Jordan to a shoe contract. That's assuming that he actually even had a job with Adidas after that. But when we are unwilling to take risks, unwilling to say to Jesus, because you say so, I will, we can miss some of the greatest opportunities of our life. We've got to be willing to take risk and follow Jesus and say, because you say so, I will. We then see what happens in response to Peter's obedience to Jesus. Starting in verse 6, this is what it says. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Now just, just think about what might be going on in Peter's mind right now. And if you were to just use your gut, what do you think his response would be to Jesus? Wouldn't you think that his response would be, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We're gonna go into business with this guy. We're gonna make millions. We'll call it Fish Dynasty. We'll grow out our beards, it'll be so cool. That wasn't Peter's response at all to this amazing miracle. Verse eight, this is what it says. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. His response to this amazing miracle was, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. What is going on there? Isn't that the weirdest response to what seems like an amazing miracle? Why would he respond that way? Here's what's going on there, in my opinion. In kind of a supernatural way, Jesus kind of opens up the curtain and allows Peter, maybe for the very first time, <clears throat> to see the reality of who Jesus is and the glory of God, the holiness of God is starting to shine through who Jesus is. And as that holiness and that glory shines its light into the life of Peter, it shines the light into the deep places of who he is and he realizes that before God he is in desperate need. He is not the kind of person that God would want him to be. And instead of being excited about this miracle, it actually wrecks him. And he says, go away from me. His response to Jesus was, in some ways, a great response because he was humble and authentic. You know, I mean, he could have responded by trying to cover up what was going on underneath in his life. He could have tried to put a positive spin on it. He could have made excuses. He could have tried to blame his parents for the way that they raised him. It's not my fault. You know, he could have just tried to put on a mask and cover up. I don't want Jesus to see this. I don't want other people to see it. I'm just gonna put on a show for the rest of these disciples so that nobody catches on to what's really going on underneath the surface in my life. 
but he has the right response. He is humble and authentic, and he just throws open the curtain to his own life, throws up the hood, and says, Jesus, I need you. Before you, I am so needy. There was a great response, humility and authenticity. That's what it takes to be an impact player in the kingdom of God, as people that live that out. If we're gonna be mobilized, we've got to live that out. But that's the great response, but there's an incredible misunderstanding also that Peter had here that we've got to catch or we're not gonna understand the magnitude of the gospel. See, Peter assumed that if Jesus knew what was going on underneath him and he showed it to him, he thought that that would disqualify him from having intimacy with Jesus and nothing could be further from the truth. It didn't disqualify him, it actually qualified him to be useful and used by God. And just the opposite of that is true. If we want to be unuseful to the king, if we want to be unuseful to Jesus, hide. Hide your sin. Cover it up. Don't let God see it. Don't let others see it. Put on a show for people. That's how you find yourself in a place that's useless. See, the lie that we believe is if, if God really knew, if people really knew what was going on in my life, they would reject me. They wouldn't draw me into intimacy. And this story makes it really clear for us that that is exactly the opposite of what God wants from us. He wants authenticity, he wants humility, he wants us to deal with the reality of what's going on underneath the surface in our life. No double lives, no hiding. We've gotta ask ourselves the question and in just that same honesty that Peter did with the spotlight of God's truth and his holiness shining into our life, am I authentic or am I hiding? Do people know the real me? Do people know what's going on underneath the surface in my life? Those are questions that we have to ask and answer. But then Jesus makes an offer to Peter and his disciples that will test the gut on what is their vision for their life? What is their life even actually gonna be about? And this is what Jesus says to Peter. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. You don't need to be afraid and cower. Authenticity, humility, it's the right response. I'm inviting you into covenant relationship with me, into intimacy with me. Do not be afraid. But here's what Jesus says. From now on, Peter, you will catch men. See, Jesus makes it absolutely clear to Peter, this is what it's gonna mean if you're gonna walk with me. You're gonna be about catching people, not just catching fish. See, Peter use, or Jesus uses the setting of this incredible miracle to try to give Peter a bigger vision for his life than he ever had before. Maybe a way to say it is, is Jesus would say, Peter, if you thought this was fun, if you thought this was cool to throw out your nets and to catch such a haul of fish that amazing amounts of dollars showed up here at your footsteps, Peter, if you think that's fun, think about this, throwing out your nets into the lives of people and seeing me be used in their life, and seeing people's destinies changed forever, people's eternities changed because of what I'm gonna do in you, Peter, and what I'm gonna do through you. Peter, what's it gonna be about? Is your life gonna be about the dollars, or is your life gonna be about destinies? Peter, what's it gonna be? Dollars or destinies? And we've gotta understand, friends, that as we decide to walk with Jesus, one thing that will become increasingly true of us is that our hearts will continue and start to beat for the things that Jesus' heart beats for. 
The things that he loves will love. The things that he cares about will care about. The things that he moves toward will move toward. And what we know without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus' heart is for people that don't have a relationship with him. Jesus, when in Luke 19, 10, he made it so clear for us. In his mission statement, he said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. So the closer that we get to Jesus and his heart, the more the people that are broken and far from God are gonna matter to us. We're gonna get a bigger vision for our life. As I was getting ready to, to graduate from college, you know, you're always making decisions about what you're gonna do um, with your life. Uh, but I had this circumstance that I got nominated. I was in the engineering department at MSU and I got nominated for this award. And part of this award meant that I had to write an, an essay. And then from that essay, uh, they chose three finalists. And the finalists then had to sit before a board of some of the deans of the school and some of the leaders of the school and some of the prestigious alumni uh, that they flew in to be a part of this interview process. And they would ask you questions. So for me, you know, I'm just this little guy from a little town in Montana. And this was a very intimidating environment for me as they began to pepper me with questions. But it actually got a little bit more intimidating because here was the problem. A lot of the questions that they would ask, these questions only made sense if I was gonna go into engineering with my life or if I was gonna go into grad school. They're asking me questions about how my undergrad had prepared me for what I was gonna do after college. And so I felt like to help them understand, I had to circle back and let them know about some decisions that I had made coming up to graduation. I had to let them know that, you know, I really wasn't going into engineering at all. My wife and I had decided that we were gonna go into ministry with, with Campus Crusade for Christ. And it was, it was just, I wasn't trying to make a big stand for Jesus. That wasn't my goal. I just wanted to help them understand why their questions didn't make sense. But what made this even more challenging was there was a guy that was sitting across the table from me and he just began to get so angry. And he began to challenge me about my faith. He began to ask me apologetics questions and trying to undermine the Christian faith. And so, I mean, he was completely out of bounds and outside of the, the scope of the interview, but I was doing my best even as a young believer, to try to explain to him what I understood about my faith. And I, I felt so bad for the other guys and gals in the room because they would try to corral him and get us back on track. But then he would start in again. And I, I want to just take a little, there, there was a, as intimidating as it was, there was a little moment of, of humor in there. One of the things that he began to challenge me on was the existence of denominations in Eastern Europe and how they warred against one another. That was one of his... Uh, attacks that he had about the Christian faith. But when he was talking about uh, denominations, he kept using the term Christian sects, S-E-C-T-S. But as he was talking, the whole time, I thought he was saying Christian sex, S-E-X. So I'm just sitting there, how do I answer that question? What does he even mean, Christian sex? I, th I think we do it just like everybody else does. I'm not an expert in that. But finally, the end of the interview came to the place where he said, if you really loved people, you would take your engineering degree and you would go serve people in a way that would help them in their lives. And I remember sitting back and I just, I had one response left. I just said, with all due respect, I think the greatest need that any person has on this planet is that they need to be brought back into relationship with the God that made them. And that can only be accomplished through Jesus Christ and what he did for them. That's what I want to make my life about. And as I, as I walked out of that interview and I walked 
across campus. I remember just laughing out loud trying to figure out what in the world just happened there. That was not what I was expecting. But what I began to see was that there was this root of conviction that had grown in my life. That the greatest need that people have is to know God. And it didn't matter whether I was going to be an engineer. I could have gone into engineering and still been about that. But it's the greatest need that people have on this planet. And when we're talking about all-out mobilization, what we're talking about is Jesus is just inviting us into that with him to meet the greatest need that people have. We could meet all their needs, and we should meet all of their other physical needs as well. But we can't neglect the greatest need that they have to be reunited with the God who loves them. Now these disciples, these leaders, they had a decision to make. What's going to be their vision for their life? Are they going to allow themselves to get mired down in the small vision of their life? Or are they going to live for this bigger vision? Because it's so, and when I say smaller vision, I'm not talking about insignificant. Because even all the details of our life matter to God. But what I believe Jesus is trying to get Peter to grab a hold of and for us to grab a hold of is that take those smaller things, but keep the big picture vision in mind and allow me to weave this smaller story into my larger story of redemption. That's what I'm asking you to do. So they had a decision to make. What are they going to do? Verse 11. So they pulled their boats up on shore. They left everything and they followed him. In just a matter of minutes, their entire lives were completely radically and completely reoriented towards something else. Suddenly, the kingdom of God had become the central focus of their life. They completely left their livelihood behind. As they walked behind Jesus away from the scene, I'm imagining that there were a couple of boats that were creaking in the wind. There were a pile of flopping fish there and dirty nets laying on, the side of the, laying on the side of the lake, and they walked away. I can't wait to meet them in heaven and ask them, what was going on in your heart and your mind at that moment? What were they asking themselves? Are they walking away thinking, are we crazy? What are, you know, what are our parents gonna say? We just, we just walked away from everything. This is, our, this is our livelihood. Are we just being emotional? You know, I, I majored in fish in college, not people. This isn't really what I thought that I'd signed up for. But regardless of what was going on in their hearts, we know what they did. They dropped their nets and they followed him. It's the picture of what we're talking about of all-out mobilization. We drop the things in our life that are keeping us from the bigger vision and we follow Jesus into what he is doing in the world. And I want to do something that I hope will try to make this personal for you because ultimately we can look at this story and what God did in their life, what Jesus did in their life, but ultimately it's got to come home to roost with us. What, what, what about me? What about you? What, what, what about us as Journey Church? What is it that God is asking us to do, to be a part of this bigger vision? What is he saying to us that we just need to look at him and say, I don't know if that makes total sense to me, but because you say so, I will. What might God be saying to you this morning? Is there something that you know, even as I've been talking, you know that there's something that he's asking you to do on his behalf. You know that. 
Maybe there's something that you know that you need to let go of, something that you need to drop. Maybe it's bitterness, anger, impurity, whatever it is, something that you need to drop. And Jesus is saying, let it go. Maybe there's something that you need to bring into the light with other people. There's a hiddenness about you. There's a double life that people don't know. And you need to sit across the table from someone and open up your life and let the light of Christ shine into those dark places in us. Maybe right now you know that there's a risk that Jesus is asking you to take. There's fear. But at the end of the day, you know that you want to say, Jesus, because you say so, I will. What I want us to do is if you just set your things aside right now, I want you to take some time to press in with Jesus and ask him those very questions. Jesus, what is it that you would be asking me to do? What is it that you want me to do that I need to respond with? Because you say so, I will. In just a few minutes, I'm gonna bring us to a, to a close here and give you some final thoughts before we take off and an opportunity to respond. We just want to declare to you today that we trust you. Jesus, would you continue to stir our hearts and help us to get our mind on the bigger vision of what you're doing in the world. We want to be available to you. Lord, show us the things that are going on in the smaller story of our life and how those fit into your bigger story of redemption. We want to be used by you, Jesus. And it's in your powerful name that we pray. Amen.
As we wrap up this morning, I wanted to use a little bit of a modern day metaphor to try to capture what I believe is the, the heart of what Jesus is saying when he's talking about all out mobilization. Some of you have probably been wondering, are there poker tables up front at church? What's going on? Hope the offerings are going okay. But there's a picture here that I think is instructive to us because I think if Jesus was wanted to use a modern metaphor of poker, this is what he would be saying to us. If you wanna be all out in mobilization, this is what it means. To be all out, you've gotta go all in. That move in poker where someone says, I'm betting everything, I'm pushing all my chips to the middle of the table. I'm not holding anything back. I'm betting everything that I've got on this. That's what Jesus is asking us to do in all out mobilization. But I know what we can do. We can wanna try to hold some chips back. Can I really trust Jesus with everything? And maybe we'll give him a chip or two now and then. We'll offer him something here and there. But the kingdom of God, friends, it just doesn't work like that. The kingdom of God will only make sense to you when we get to that place where we're willing to say it's all yours. Jesus says, if you wanna save your life, you're gonna lose it. If you wanna save some of your chips, you're gonna lose the life that I want you to live. But he said, if anyone loses his life for me, he will find it. If you lose your life for me and for the sake of the gospel, you will find the life that you've always wanted. Jesus is asking us to go all in. Here's what I want you to do. We're gonna continue in worship, but I want you to do business with God and just ask yourself, am I at the place in my life where it's genuinely my heart's desire? I wanna be all in. I want my life to be about the things of the kingdom of God first and foremost. And if that's true of your life, here's how I want you to respond, to be bold and brave, to walk up to the front of the room and grab one of those poker chips. And by that, you'd be saying to God, not to me, not to Journey, not to the people around you, but you'd be saying to God, I wanna be all in. Would you show me more, God, what it means for me to be all in? And here's what I want you to do with that poker chip. I want you to take it and I want you to put it into a place that you will see it regularly as a reminder of a stake in the ground time that I just said, Jesus, I want to be all in for you and the sake of your kingdom. Maybe that means that you're gonna put it on your desk at work. Maybe it's gonna be beside your sink at home. I just got a text from someone last night that took this home and made it into a beautiful necklace, if you can believe that, something that they can have. And remember, whatever it is, keep it in a place where you're gonna see it often and be reminded that if I wanna be all out in mobilization, it always, it's always gonna mean that I need to go all in. Let's continue to worship.